Welcome to Tech Talk Nation, talking about the latest tech, industry news, and hot topics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website at techtalknation.com. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk Nation. I'm your host, Matt Fitzgerald, and today we have a wonderful show for you. A lot of you guys may be wondering what the uh, title means of this episode, but uh, we're going to get into that and we are going to have a good time while doing it today. So without further ado, I'm going to head over here and introduce our uh, guest as usual, we have Matt Grislow with us today, um, and we are going to be talking about some cool stuff. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing well, Fitz. How are you doing today? I am doing well. It is going to be an interesting episode. We got some really interesting articles for you today, and uh, the first one Matt sent in uh, was about Samsung having their third unpacked event of April tw- of 2021 set for April 28th. And uh, Matt, you want to talk a little bit about that one? Sure. So I guess now is the time of the year, starting to be the time of the year where all these tech companies are starting to, the consumer tech companies are starting to have their uh, product release events. And so you're starting to see uh, more and more releases about them. And this is uh, one of the first ones for Samsung this year. They already did uh, one recently with some of their lower budget phones. Um, But it looks like they're going to be unveiling some Chromebooks, um, some Galaxy Book laptops, and uh, it's possible for a uh, to see some folding phones and folding folding phone technology. Um, but we'll have to see what happens on April twenty eighth here. Cool, cool, yeah, definitely interested to see what's coming through for Samsung. I definitely will be interested to see what their Chromebooks are going to look like, just because of the way that education has been trending right now and the pretty much everybody's getting a Chromebook. Uh, it, it has just been weird for me to see like middle schoolers and like younger kids having Chromebooks. Like, like it's, it's weird. Like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, we grew up not too far from each other. For those who don't know, uh, Fitz and I went to high school together to, to college together so we've known each other for a long time um, but we went to, to different middle schools and grade schools and i'm not sure about what happened with you at, at st zach's but at least at st Teresa, um we had computer class um but we didn't have you know laptops or or ipads those i think came or started a few years after at least i graduated eighth grade back in 2012 so well, what nine years ago um, we had a uh... We had computer class, but our our computer lab was basically a Frankenstein mix of whatever the school could find, running win- anything from like Windows ninety eight to XP, and that was that was the good times, playing Oregon oh, Trail in computer class. Oh man, yeah, yeah no, I remember the Windows XP, Windows ninety nine, um, ninety eight. We had some weird like, uh, it it wasn't Photoshop. Kid picks some weird like drawing editing software. I guarantee I you it was kid picks. It I think you're right. Here, here, give it, let me let me look it up real quick. <laughs> well, we, it's funny because I I I feel like there's a very here. Is it is it it has um, to have been this. Mate I I know what you're okay. You see the lamb picture? Go to the lamb picture. Which one? The lamb. 
or even the one. On oh, the this this one. Right. Either one of those. Yeah, it looked exactly like that. That is a yeah. major throwback. And now, I guess, I can only speak on my my experience with computer class, but uh, I I think it's interesting to look back at the in school the generations of people the generations. I mean, I'm I'm talking about this as a 23 year old, but um, you know, you had the millennials before um, what is it, the millennials and then Gen Z. I guess I think <laughs> that, that I think it seems it, like so they come up with a new name every single time. Yeah, so I believe it, it's that. So millennials and Gen Zers are back to back, and then there's the Zoomers, right? Or I guess no, the, they are the Gen Zers. But anyway, you have the millennials and the Gen Zs, and um, it's interesting because I mean I haven't talked to a lot of people about uh, computer class or what they did for technology, you know, for anyone that was born between the '80s and, and '90s. But I think starting really in the 90s or the mid-90s, you started getting those kids um, in these computer labs where they were starting to learn all about this, like, technology and, and doing um, Oregon Trail, you know, cool pics, um, type to learn, if, if you did that, if you remember doing yep. that. I remember I was talking to a coworker on, um, on Thursday because on my, on my, on my uh, keyboard, for whatever reason, a lot of the time when we use Teams at work, um, I, for whatever reason, mistype sometimes, and I'll accidentally put a, a forward slash because the forward slash button is right above, or the key is right above the enter key. So sometimes I'll send that in a Teams message, and I'll have to go back and edit it out. But I, I made a joke about it last week with my coworker, um, and it fell flat, and that was kind of sad. But I didn't, I didn't know if that was because the joke wasn't funny or if he didn't know what type to learn was. Um, but what I'm getting here is that I think it's interesting because you, you go from this, this, uh, generation where they didn't grow up with technology. Like most of millennials didn't grow up with smartphones. They didn't have them. Um, then you get to the late, uh, millennials where they started to get it like us. They started to get it. Like the, when I say la later, I mean the last few years, maybe the last three, four years of, of the millennials, right? Um, they started growing up with computer labs and they started seeing like the birth and the beginning of the internet. You know, well, it's, it's YouTube, all of that. It's not to then say zoomers and they have, you know, iPads, they've got uh, laptops in the class when they're younger and they're starting to, to learn when they're six, seven, eight years old with all this crazy new technology. And it's just so interesting to see that dichotomy right there between you know the use cases and, and, and how technology has evolved and how kids are learning with technology earlier and earlier and earlier yeah and that's that's not to say that people before the the millennials or anything like that had computer technology i mean it was just available only in colleges or universities or maybe even some some very bigger high schools that had the funds to be able to support a computer lab um but it's definitely one of those things I find interesting as you're getting these people who are younger and younger and younger working with technology all day. That's going to be interesting to see, especially um, who like, let's, let's think about, about us for our matter. Like I, I got a laptop in college that I had with me for all day that I used for my classes in high school. My, my, what our sophomore year, we got iPads for the classroom. And it's an iPad, so it's like, okay, half the time you're doing, like, school-related stuff, and half the time you're using your iPad for doing leisure stuff like games, and people abuse the heck out of it. Um, I'm going to oh, be interesting man, to see how a fifth grader uh, will stay focused when they have this thing that 
will that allows them to goof off in front of them all day um, in class. I mean, it, it's been the reality for the last year or so, but definitely one of those things where as this technology grows, as these new Chromebooks come out, uh, will there be enough processing power to allow for not necessarily just checking emails or running some simple apps, but real compute workloads? So... I think I think it could be interesting, especially um, as as you see more and more of uh, coding and, and coding type classes and uh, and courses being uh, offered to the younger generation, and you know encouraging these kids earlier on, early on to to try and get into code and coding. Um, I could definitely see that becoming more and more of a uh, of a question or, or of how capable are these computers and what are we going to start teaching now that we have the capability. Uh, for these kids to, you know, exploit the technology that that's available to them. Right. Definitely. Well, speaking of new product releases, I know you're excited for this next one. Uh, but <laughs> Apple is having a spring-loaded event for April 20th. So you want to talk a little bit about that one? You make me up as, like, a big Apple fanboy, and you're not wrong, but also, like, I, I don't, and I actually have a very good example of this. I, I'm not, like, a blind follower of Apple, but either way, um, yeah, Apple's having uh, their spring-loaded event on Tuesday, uh, April 20th, so just eight days prior to uh, uh, Samsung's event. They, it is rumored to, uh, it's rumored that Apple's going to be dropping a new iPads, um, specifically iPad Pros that have uh, updated screens, at least for the 12.9 inch model. They're thinking, are they uh, expected to be releasing uh, iPad Pro 12.9 inches with new mini LED technology? Um, they're also uh, believed to be dropping iPads with Thunderbolt ports, which expands the uh, uh, capability of that USB C port that they have right now. Um, I actually have an iPad. Pro. I bought mine um, in January. It's last year's model, and it's really interesting to, to hear all this about the, this iPad Pro because it's a very capable uh, tablet. In fact, I remember watching a video last week by uh, Brian Tong, uh, an ex-CNN um, contributor. He used to be on their YouTube, and now he has his own page. But he was talking about the, I want to say it was the 2018 iPad Pro, um, and he kept on saying how even that iPad was so capable that you know, people that are upgrading from year to year might not see a big difference uh, this year, especially with that uh, that size iPad. Um, but these these machines are becoming beasts, and especially uh, with this other rumor that they're going to be implementing, uh, as opposed to a revised or an improved uh, beefed-up version of their chip from the iPhone, that they'll be dropping uh, iPad Pros with the M1 uh, ARM chips. So we'll see how that goes because we've also seen. I mean, you you own a uh, a MacBook with a with an M1 chip. How how is it? I mean, it's I've heard it's, it's pretty impressive. So one one comment on that: Aren't you doing this this show off of your iPad Pro? So like <laughs> actually yes, and this is not. I, we we don't get any money from Apple. They don't pay me to do anything. If they pay me for anything, they should be paying me triple because of how much. Uh, if they I want to, I mean, I always, I always would support <laughs> it, but. Uh... Um, but just you know, as a full disclosure, but yeah, I actually do this podcast and I stream off my my iPad Pro 
2020, the, the 11.9 inch. Definitely. Um, for anyone who's curious, the 11.9 space gray, 128 gigabyte. So there you go. That's, I mean, hopefully the camera quality is good. The audio quality is good. I've been told that with a mic or with a, a headset that it actually uses better natively on, on my device. Um, but it's interesting. Um, Definitely. It's pretty capable, but, but yeah. how, how do you like your Mac? I got a I got an M1 Mac actually behind me at, at my work setup there. And uh, I, I actually really enjoy it. I, I'm not a huge like Mac fan in general, um, but it is incredibly slim. It is incredibly um, capable. The battery life is outstanding and it's, it's silent. It is literally silent. Um, it, it gets a little warm every once in a while when I'm doing some real, real tough stuff on it. But um, it's, I, I, I mean, it's, it's a capable machine. And if they can take that M1 chip, put it in an iPad pro, I think that can make it even better. I mean, I want to say it's a six core chip. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but it's all in a system on a chip. So your Ram, everything is all within that one, that one chip, which is great. And I mean, that's not a new technology, but um, getting that chip within a mobile device that isn't a laptop is pretty cool. So, yeah, and like I said, the iPads are incredibly capable right now. Um, I, I think just adding the M1 to to the iPad, um, it makes sense. It also will just make this thing unquestionable at the store, at, you know, for buying. Um, anyway, there's a few other products that have been releasing. Um, they're rumored to be releasing a new version of the uh, Apple Pencil, which is probably why the uh, logo for the event looks like something drawn with an Apple Pencil. Spring Loaded is the title of the uh, event, and it's rumored that they're going to have some sort of spring-loaded feature on using Apple Pencils. Um, I'm also curious if they're going to be adding any sort of uh, Find My features. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, as you all know, or may not all know, Find My is the uh, Apple app for trying to find um, or ping lost uh, Apple devices. And it's actually interesting because recently um, Apple started playing nice with other companies. And so they have opened the Find My app to support other devices, app, other non-Apple devices. So it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out. Um, but on the topic of Find My, they're actually rumored to be finally releasing their uh, AirTags. These would be uh, small little circular, um, I think metallic uh, tags that you could put on things that you could put with things to make sure that you never lose them. They'd be integrated with the Find My ecosystem and the Apple ecosystem, um, but they would essentially be competing directly with uh, Tile, and so it would be Apple's version of that. Um, a few other things were to be uh, unveiling new iPad minis, although the iPad mini line has been kind of neglected for a while, um, so we'll see what happens there. AirPods 3, um, uh, updating those, making them, I think, look a little more like the uh, AirPod Pros. So we'll see about that. The one that I would be disappointed for them to upgrade, although they really desperately need to, um, would be the Apple TV. The Apple TV, I believe, was last uh, updated in 2017 with HDR and 4K support. Well, now you have all of these other uh, devices that you can connect to and other other gaming devices that have things like 120 hertz, and these are things, and, and this, is, this is specifically something that uh, Apple could could add to their new uh, Apple TV. Uh, additionally, some sort of refresh of the Apple TV remote. One of my biggest gripes 
with uh, my Apple TV is the remote. It's so slim. It's very nice. It's very um, minimalist. The only problem is it it's so easy to, to lose that thing. And even just having, you know, find my integration with that would be phenomenal. Um, and, and finally, there's possibility that they might be unveiling uh, iOS 14.5 which is when I believe they're going to be starting to roll in a lot of the privacy uh, features that companies like Facebook um, aren't really happy with, and I'm sure Google wouldn't be happy with either. Um, nonetheless, the event's going to be spring-loaded and jam-packed, and so uh, we'll see on Tuesday what the company decides to unveil. You know, there was, there was something else there, actually, that uh, I think I, I wanted to touch a little bit on. Apparently... I read an article this morning too. Um, they may be releasing a new iMac. So yeah, the colorful iMacs, right? Yeah, basically like like the iPad colored iMacs that you could use on a desktop. Um, I'm not I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. I I, I want to say I'm eighty percent certain on this, but I believe they did stop selling the iMacs recently. Yep. Um, they or at least they stopped. Um, production of the current ones that they had and so they were just trying to get purged the inventory that they they have and so yeah i think it'd be really interesting to see if they would be updating those as well with the m1 chip we're seeing this you know really big push from apple with their new you know soc system on chip with their m1 uh processor so i'm really really excited to see um what they end up doing with with this event what they end up doing with the imac possibilities with upgrading the the MacBooks. Um, this would be their first product event of the year. Um, there have been a lot of rumors that they were going to have a March event that came and went. And uh, again, rumors surfaced that they were going to have this 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 spring event in April. Um, but people were were not really certain about it just because they're going to have their big WWDC event um, in believe I believe June. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and so which is is typically a software event, but. It, it's not uh, atypical for them to have something like a, uh, a computer release there. And actually, I believe that's where they did have the M1 um, kind of reveal last summer. Uh, I might be wrong with that one, but it, again... It, I thought it was really later in the year, but... What they do with this, this M1 chip. Definitely, definitely. And if they can squeeze the amount of performance that, they can, that I get on my Mac into an iPad Pro, that's going to be really revolutionary, honestly. So absolutely. So kind of speaking about your uh, you mentioned the remote a little bit earlier. Um, one of the things that I wanted to highlight uh, was about the I saw this article this week uh, about Logitech's uh, smart remote. Logitech killed off the Harmony line of smart TV remotes. I'm not sure if a lot of people even knew it existed per se, but basically what these remotes were. Is they were very they were like smart remotes with a touch screen. I actually had one of these at home, and you could create actions that you could program the remote to do. So like if you wanted to watch a movie, you would click like watch a movie, and it would turn on the DVD player, the surround sound, and the TV. Set the right inputs on the TV. Set the right input on the DVD player, and click play. Like it it did all of that stuff at once. And one of the things that's interesting is it it kind of got killed off and this article kind of goes into a little more detail about how they solved a problem that uh wasn't really 
entirely needed and especially with the way that smart TVs have been going and app controls and casting and all that stuff there just is no longer a need for that specific technology anymore so I'm not sure your thoughts on that one actually it's it's funny that you that you bring this up because I was actually looking at these remotes um, maybe two months ago three months ago um, I bought a brand new um, well it was last year's model the uh, LG C10 uh, OLED TV, that 4K HDR monster. I love it. It's the 55-inch. I highly recommend it. Um, but I remember the one thing I shouldn't say I remember. I know the one thing that I wasn't really thrilled with with this brand-new TV, everything great. There's everything, a lot of great things about it. The one thing I really don't like about it is the remote. The remote kind of it sucks. And so I had been looking at other different remotes that I could buy that I could uh, that would be compatible with my TV, and I was looking at their their LG uh, Harmony line of remotes. Um, they ended up being way too expensive, and and it didn't make any sense for me to buy them. And I just realized that I, I paid you know over a thousand dollars for this OLED TV. It makes no sense to buy another remote where the remote that I have is just fine. I have to just get used to it. Although uh, LG, if you're watching this, you need to improve your remotes. Um, I want to say that, uh, and I, I didn't watch them, but they had some pressers for the brand new OLED TVs for this year. Um, I want to say they fixed them a little bit and added like a Disney Plus button or whatever, but go the way of Roku, go the way of Chromecast, go the way of the Fire TV Stick. Use a, a smaller remote. No one wants these big, bulky remotes anymore. We don't need them. I've Here, I'm, I pulled up a picture is isn't this the one that you have? Yes. Yeah. This is the one that I have. And it's it's really weird because oh. there's this this like weird nub down here that they that it's, just seems it seems awkward. It's like well belly. It's it's oh I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. I I really can't say anything more than I really LG. I'm I'm pleading with you. I'm I'm begging you. I'm on my knees. Please move to a more slender, smaller, sleeker. Um, more handable uh, remote. I think the the whole point of the the flowy kind of design. I think two things. One, um, if you do put it upright, it sort of does look like a uh, a an artistic take on the profile of that TV, my my OLED TV. Although LG has that remote in all of their uh, smart TV or the top of the line smart TV, 4K smart TV lines. Um, but the other thing, too, is I think they're also trying to go with a more ergonomic design. And I think it backfired just because, yeah, it feels good in the hand. It's just way too freaking big with all the buttons you want to be able to hit. Um, again, with these other smart uh, system remotes, they're so much more just handable. They're, they're better in the hand. They, it's so much easier to navigate with them. Um, although I will say that LG does have a very good... Uh, web OS like smart TV system, the remote stinks, and so yeah. I was hoping to get you know one of these these Harmony line remotes, and I just said I just spent you know fifteen hundred dollars on a TV. I'm not going to spend two hundred dollars or whatever it was on uh, on one of these remotes, and I guess I'm kind of thankful I didn't just because it's probably not going to be supported, or their products are probably not going to be supported for long, and so 
I'm glad that I held off on that. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that's that's interesting about this too is people in this article are just saying like they weren't staying relevant with with the current the current times. Like, yeah, that the remote had like an LCD screen on it, but did it really have any of the controls that it needed for these these smarter TVs? Was it able to actually interact with them? And some of these manufacturers also are using proprietary protocols and certain ways that they're interfacing with the TV itself. So that, that throws a wrench for them creating a product that works with everything. So it's, it's yeah, just definitely no. interesting to see. No, I agree with you. And, and actually, you made a very good point. I mean, even with my TV that I have right now, LG has like two different TV apps I can use to control my TV. Apple TV is the same way. I'm sure the other uh, smart systems are, are similar where they have their own apps. It really doesn't make sense to have this specialized uh, remote when you're seeing a lot of this stuff just, you know, going digital and just having an, an app on your phone to be able to, to control your TV. There's no need to spend $300 on a, a smart remote. It's just not in the cards anymore. And it's almost, I think, going to, uh, the remote's probably going to go the way of the dinosaur eventually because everyone's going to have a more than capable smartphone and all these companies are, are going to get smart uh, sooner or later and realize that they don't need to be making remotes for their TVs. Um, the Comcast app is phenomenal. They have a, a remote with that uh, and it's paired with their entire uh, TV guide system and their on-demand system and it's an all-in-one uh, app. I don't know why more companies and, and more uh more more TV manufacturers aren't just exclusively doing this, knowing full well that you know their their customer base is more than likely going to have a more than capable phone that can uh, run run an app that would replace the remote. Right, right, right. Well, speaking of remotes, or actually lack thereof. Uh, the next article that we're going to talk about a little bit is uh, Domino's. They're testing a self-driving delivery car in Houston. Uh, so it's it's actually it's actually kind of cute in my opinion. Look at it; it's just like a little <laughs> little blob thing. But uh, basically, Domino's partnered with Neuro, uh, based out of Silicon Valley, to test this um, this self-driving car in one neighborhood. Uh, basically, users can opt in to. Um, uh, actually get this delivered by an autonomous car rather than an actual person. And uh, thank you to Eater for this article. Basically, uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this works out for them. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's just so cool. Like, And it's the evolution of, of delivery, right? It, it, this isn't new. This isn't a surprise to anyone that you know, a, a chain pizza company is starting to uh, develop and test autonomous delivery systems. It just makes sense um, for their bottom dollar. I mean, it's a, it's a high startup cost, but over time, it just makes sense. Um, I think it's kind of cool. I, I do also think it is kind of cute. Um, and I only see this going up and up and up. In fact, actually, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if a company like Uber Eats uh, suddenly um, started investing heavily into uh, into this company or, or other companies like this or tried to implement a, a similar sort of uh, autonomous delivery system. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's going to be interesting to see if this is going to be a big trend and how this is going to affect uh, basically the, the company's bottom line as a whole. Like, you're, are you going to now, I mean, 
I know that delivery drivers aren't necessarily... I'm not sure if they're considered like like waged employees or tipped employees where they can kind of get around that that minimum wage gap like the the minimum wage thing. Um right. I'm, I'm not sure how that works but if if they are like fully minimum waged employees I still feel like you're this is still going to help them in the long run. But then again that's not putting money back into our economy that's letting the company keep more of it. You you would hope that that would be affected their pricing and stuff like that, but in a way, I'd rather have a, a pizza shop with ten people who work there that make pizzas, and then one that works there that's the robot repair guy, rather than ten people who work there making pizzas and three delivery drivers. So it's all sure. about making like uh, having higher skilled. Uh, jobs and and automating the the boring ones not to say pizza delivery isn't boring but uh it's it's just take out the 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 menial stuff well peter parker would disagree with you on uh, (laughs) um, pizza delivery is boring but um i would say that i think it makes more sense for larger companies you know chain restaurants papa john's domino's um pizza hut all those big players, they have money to toss around and spend. And to be honest with you, they'll probably be, still be able to pay their employees enough to make it worth their while in the other jobs that they have. I don't think they're going to lose money or time or it's really going to take that big of a hit to like the, the economy because those people, they can just employ then the drivers to work kitchen and um, because they're going to see more throughput with maybe this autonomous system. The one thing that I think is important to note or to consider here is that this is another form of contactless delivery. And this is something that we're seeing more and more um, over time, especially as this pandemic uh, continues to to rage on. Um, People don't want to, or some people are still scared of, uh, you know, having a strange delivery person show up at your door who, unfortunately, in this day and age, people are are freaked out about, about their safety, their health. They don't know whether or not that person that's coming to deliver them food could potentially, you know, get them sick, um, which could lead to a big chain of events, you know, having a small family outbreak or, and, and, and they have lasting impacts. COVID has lasting impacts, right? So um, I think this is a great way to, uh, during the pandemic, try and uh, encourage people to, to order, make it safe for people, and uh, ultimately, obviously, you know, help the company's bottom dollar. Um I'm not trying to advocate for big pizza here, but uh, <laughs> big pizza. But you know, it, 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 this is this is not a surprise. This it's not a surprise that that uh, delivery is now going the the means of uh, autonomy, and and this isn't the only you know I don't want to say menial job, but you know uh, the lesser paying job that uh, we haven't seen trying to be automated before. In fact, I believe uh, Domino's has tried this before, at least in Australia. Um, in the past few years, it just didn't work. But I'm I'm sure now there's there's more of a push within the company to try and uh, automate any jobs they can, especially for those instances where their their workers are sick, where their where their drivers can't come to work. What happens there? Where you're short staffed? Well, now you have a robot to do what you need uh, to get done, deliver those pizzas. Right, right, right. Well, speaking of bottom lines, uh, we're going to move on to the next article here uh, from TechCrunch, uh, basically about Square Squarespace filing for a direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Basically, 
they are filing to trade under the ticker symbol SQSP. And long story short, they made a lot of money uh, and their revenue grow, grew 28% in 2020. So uh, take that as you will. Um, I'm not I mean, I think it's it's uh, okay to, to do something like this, uh, to go on the stock exchange. I personally, uh, disclaimer, we are not financial advisors here. We have to say this every freaking episode. Um, There's but, a lot of disclaimers we have to say. Honestly. We're not financial advisors. We're not, you know. Endorsed by people. Kinds. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but personally for me, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the, the most sound investment because, I mean, the internet's going to grow and stuff like this, but... I'm I'm thinking for me at least I, I have a lot of experience working with websites and doing all this stuff. Um, there's a point where Squarespace, the cusp of what they're able to do, and once a small business or somebody grows beyond what they can do, it is it gets real expensive, or really complicated, or both, to transfer away from their walled garden. So basically, that's that's kind of uh, my philosophy on it. Okay, um, I you know I don't think it's a bad thing. I I, I obviously I don't want to say I expected this, you know, from the start. They're the kings of YouTube advertising right now. I mean, I I can't tell you how many videos I've watched <laughs> where I've got a Squarespace article um, or a Squarespace uh, ad, you know. It's they're they're all over the place. They're everywhere, and small businesses do use them, and they are pretty lucrative um, for a lot of those small businesses. And it makes sense for for their bottom dollar and for their business model, right? So mm -hmm. I mean, there's no surprise that they made a lot of money and uh, last year, and that they they're they're filing for this IPO, and that it already made them so much money. Um, I mean, you, you, we see this with all kinds of of new uh, initial public offerings. Um, Snapchat blowing up and then going and settling down to a more reasonable uh, stock price. I mean, I can name so many companies. Um, it happens all the time. So well, it'll be interesting to see how their stock price and valuation um, goes up or down and fluctuates and where it sits at uh, over time, especially as we see um, these states starting to open up, you know, places starting to open up all over the world where now uh, small businesses do need the, that infrastructure because they're seeing increased traffic in their in their restaurants, um, that they need these square space little devices. And so um, it seems like they're, they're in for a good spot here. Definitely. Speaking of being on a good spot, uh, the next article we got here is uh, about Dogecoin. Uh, a $1,000 bet on Dogecoin at the start of 2021 could now buy you a Tesla. So, yeah, basically, uh, is it, if you bet $1,000, it would now be about $60,000, which is insane. I am so angry about this because I had Dogecoin for a long time. It went up in February. I sold it in February. And now I'm kicking myself. You know, then there's people like me who were so hesitant to buy that they didn't buy. And all of a sudden you see this and you go, oh, man. You know, I, 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 and I said this on one of the previous shows. I invested very, very little money into um, Bitcoin, I want to say two years ago, maybe three years ago. 
and it was at the time where it was going down, but it didn't really go up, and I just decided I was starting to lose more money than I was making, and so I, I cashed out and, you know, lost a few dollars, but, uh, you know, this this whole thing started in January of Dogecoin to the moon, um, and AMC and, and GME to the moon started as a joke, and now we're in, we're already on April 18th, and the price just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Right. I, I, I feel cr- caught at a crossroads where I'm not quite sure if I want to invest or because I know or I believe that I will make you know a good amount of money or that I should still be playing it safe um, because there's a possibility it could still go down. This whole idea of pump a meme stock, I, I don't know if this is getting out, if this is you know considered getting out of hand or what, what the implications of this are going to be. But there's a lot of people that are making a lot of money off this, um, and I'll, I'm all for people making money. So <laughs> right, definitely. That's it. I, I I mean, it was it's literally meme currency, and I mean we're gonna hit. In my opinion, there's gonna be a bubble on this because on April 15th, Elon Musk tweeted, uh, "Doge barking at the moon," and like just because of the way the internet works, apparently that just drove the value of Dogecoin just straight through the roof. I, I just think it's hilarious and it really is comical that they created a, a cryptocurrency solely on a meme, solely on a joke, and and then there was another joke in it that was basically, okay, how can we make this even more hilarious? And people went, oh, well, let's just throw the evaluation or the valuation up straight to the stars, go to the moon. Take it as far as you can. Let's see if we can beat out these other established cryptocurrencies. I don't know. At the beginning of the year, if you came up to me and said, what do you think about Dogecoin? I knew it was a, a cryptocurrency at the time, but I wouldn't have given you any credibility about uh, increased valuation of anything more of an ascent. And now looking back, I mean, you, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Right. I mean, it's it's almost what thirty five cents a, a Dogecoin. Like, like that is value. Yes. That I mean, I'm all for like money. Money is fake in general. Like, there's there's no asset backing it. But in this, I consider this more fake than the the government stuff because it's like number one. <laughs> yes, you have like uh, you have technology backing it technically through processing power and stuff like that. But it's just like. What value does it actually provide? Like, like, is there, like, what place do you know accepts Dogecoin as a form of payment? I mean, really, right now, Dogecoin is more of a, a stock in, in terms that it has value and you can sell it and, and get money, you know, from that, that sell, but it, it doesn't have applicable uses. Yeah, you're right. You can't go to 7-Eleven and pay for a Slurpee in Dogecoin. You can't go buy a Tesla uh, in Dogecoin, but you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. So, you know, it's very possible that if Dogecoin actually does uh, hold its valuation as high as it it needs to be and only just keeps going up, um, it's very possible that we'll see companies start accepting Dogecoin. I wouldn't wouldn't hold your breath on that one, but... um, just saying, just to put it out there, just so I can say, possibly in a year, but I said it first. Um, <laughs> it's it's not out of the question, and considering the last year we've had or year and four months that we've had, anything is possible. Right, and 
Here's here's another thing that about anything is possible. Switching over to the obligatory NFT articles here. Uh, Edward Snowden's one and only NFT so far sold for, in this quote by Mashable, a bonkers $5 million. It sold for, um, what is it? It sold for over $5 million or 2,224 Ethereum at auction. I'm not entirely sure what the NFT was in general. I think it was his interview. And so, well, I mean, you can go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. And I, I mean, I think the, the high price tag was mostly to make a statement, but I, I don't know. So the NFT is a, um, a mural of Edward Snowden, and the mural is uh, pieced together of uh, court filings from, mm. I believe it's his 2013 um, court ruling. And so oh yeah, I see it. There's that make, yeah, yeah. They, they make up like a picture of them. Actually, if you go yeah, to the, it's, the first tweet in there, it's this this thing right you here. The, you can see it. Yeah, it's a little like a uh, attempt of a uh, um, you could kind of make out a face right here. But yeah, yeah, interesting. So that sold for five million dollars. It's this NFT thing is is going wild. And actually, so the five million dollars um, is going to I believe one of his charities. Um, or, or one of the yeah. It says the proceeds will go to the Freedom of the Press Foundation. Yep, that's very much uh, Edward Snowden, right? Right. You know, he's all for you know freedom of of expression of information. Um, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, the valuation of that, I'm not quite sure. I'm I, I'm I'm more than certain that the valuation is based off of you know my name, you know the whole scandal behind him leaking all the documents. Um, and the whole situation surrounding it. So we'll see if this uh, if this piece holds that uh, holds that valuation over time and, and holds that price. But I I don't think so. I really don't. Yeah, think I so. think I think it was more so for uh, to make a donation for the uh, the the foundation. Uh, speaking of things holding value, the next article we got here is about something a little more fun, in my opinion. Uh, Tops. They are releasing official NFT baseball cards on April 20th, on Tuesday. So, uh, long story short, they are just basically creating non-physical cards now. And I'm kind of bummed because in this article they say the first 100,000 people who signed up for their, like, email list um, is would have gotten some free cards and I'm kind of bummed. I, I didn't see this a little earlier because it was all uh, full by the time I got there. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's, this is, this is interesting. It's, I mean, we definitely touched on this. At least I know that I, I thought I touched on this when we, we started talking about NFTs a month or so ago and it just makes sense, right? You know, these, these physical trading cards, these physical items now having uh, a sort of virtual backing, and a virtual um, iteration of it, it just makes sense. And, yep. and mm -hmm. you're now seeing it play out in real life. And it, the interesting thing is, though, they're they're selling two packs here. They got 50,000 packs containing six cards for $5 a piece, and then 24,000 premium, like premium packs with 45 cards for $100. So that's kind of like yeah. set to be sold in their first like wave of this. Hmm. Yeah, I want to say some of those exclusive packs do have, um, and and it's so weird to think about this, but they have signed 
cards. Um, so it's it's really interesting just to see the sentiment of people uh, moving forward with NFTs about how they treat how they treat these these things that they're moving over to NFTs. You see um, Pokemon cards, NFTs, um, the fake Pokemon card NFTs, Edward Snowden, you know, the, the, the mural now signed cards. Again, right. I just have a hard time. I just have a hard time believing that people want a scanned or a digital copy of a signature. At least for me, the whole point of a signature or an autograph is that it's physical. You have it. You can see it. This you, you yeah. went to somewhere to get it. Signed. This person touched this person piece of signed. paper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, well, when we were in when we were in high school, we went to an event out in in uh, in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah, and you and I got uh, Jane Goodall's signature. Um, I actually have mine uh, in my apartment here. It's one of the few things that traveled with me um, at every place that I lived in in college, dorms, the fraternity house. Um, all of my apartments and, and now this current apartment, but it's, it's that I hold that so near and dear just because there is an experience based around it. And I got to meet that person. It just, the experience changes when all of a sudden you're getting a digital version of it. You, you didn't get to go meet the person. You don't have a physical copy of it. Yeah. You can pull up anytime you want when you have your wallet open and I suppose you could travel with it. Right. So you can technically always have it with you. Um, I just, I, I, I'm a very physical, tangible, like I got to see it, have it, feel it right behind it type thing when it comes to these. So it, it just doesn't do it for me, especially for that. Another thing that I'm, I'm going to speculate a little bit on this entire drop here is, and I, I wonder if this happened with their email list. I wonder about scalpers. I wonder about people who spam email addresses into that list to get to maybe just take all hundred thousand cards. I mean, I hope that didn't happen, but you wonder, is there going to be somebody who buys all 50,000 of those packs for five bucks? They now own the entirety of that market pretty much. So hmm. is that, is that something that will happen and will that drive prices up? How, how will that, um, how will that work? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't really know much about, or I guess, yes, you're right. I don't really know much about um, how they decided to uh, pack pack the packs online, right? I'm assuming it's just like uh, any other, you know, individual baseball card pack you get where it's kind of random. You know, there's some sort of common card. Common yeah, card here they they have this article here. Yeah, they, they show yeah, yeah, like yeah. the different the different frequencies in which these these cards could appear. So yeah, so I guess it, it's not too dissimilar to real life, you know, where, where you, you can have a person buy 50 to 100 packs and you can just get duplicates of the same card. Um, so it's, it's possible that they're not getting every single card, but yeah, you're, you're not wrong. It's, it's just a new, it's a new wave kind of way of mass collecting and, and, and uh, having all, all of the supply of, of those cards, right? Because there's only a limited uh, quantity. Now, the same thing was uh, true with physical, um, uh, in-person, you know, actual cards, right? The, the, the cardboard cards. Um, they only make a certain amount of them in a limited run, but it's not like someone can easily go from Target to Target or Walmart to Walmart 
in the entire state of Indiana or Wyoming and grab up all of them. It typically doesn't happen. So it's almost like a more improved, efficient way of doing it. Yeah, you could say. I mean, at least for me, I'm I don't know. It's it's just one of those things where it's like I for five bucks, I would I would just try it once. I think that would be kind of cool. I, I may wind up picking one up just just to see if, if there's anything worthwhile just to be like, hey, I own some N NFTs like, hey, that'd be pretty cool. But um, definitely one of those things where take a look at it, see it, see what's going on and uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Absolutely, absolutely. Another thing to keep an eye on here uh, is NASA. NASA said SpaceX wins a $2.9 billion contract for a moon lander with a 2024 goal. Uh, I was actually watching a couple videos on this, this in general. And long story short, what SpaceX wants to wind up doing is they want to land their Starship prototype on the, on the moon. So basically use the, uh, the uh, moon as the uh, the where they land the starship, which is which is crazy. Just to think about how that thing is work, like how that system works in general. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the uh, other bid that the government was considering or NASA was considering uh, was uh, Blue Origin or a, a bid. Um, yeah, they... kind of brought together by Jeff Bezos. Which, this is a huge uh, bit in the eye kind of moment for, for Bezos, especially because, you know, he just announced this year that he's stepping down uh, as CEO of Amazon to focus on Blue Origin and try and get uh, his, his space company, his space travel company, up and going. And so, to see that uh, the Elon beat him to the uh, punch, I think is kind of, uh, it's, it's both hilarious because... He had just announced he's focusing on on space, and so to get the uh, the contract over over uh, Bezos is hilarious. But also just because um, this is a huge also win for for SpaceX, right? They're 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 trying their best right now, and they're they're really doing a damn good job of it to uh, kind of own the the American uh, or U.S. based uh, space industry. Getting mm -hmm. contracts already for uh, space travel for U.S. astronauts to go to the space station, trying to get their uh, big, big, big rocket uh, going. Well, it's a big win for SpaceX. The most interesting thing for me, at least, it, just in NASA's decision making, is there was a really good video by Scott Manley on YouTube. And if you're not subscribed to him, highly encourage it. Wonderful, like knows everything about space, in my opinion. But what he did in his last video is he actually put all three landers side by side to just show that the size of them. And this was the, uh, this was the, the image that he found. Uh, basically it just shows how Starship just towers over the national team and the Dynetics, uh, uh, challengers here for, for this, this prize money like like look at that that is that is huge in comparison to the two of these i'm not sure if this is exactly to scale but i'm sure it, it's a lot more representative of the true size of everything so i mean that's pretty cool in my opinion i'm just excited for more moon stuff i'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm excited for more moon stuff more space stuff right i mean yeah we've been talking about going to to mars for a while in, in the moon but to see it actually happen 
to see, you know, reveals of spacesuits and, and testing the technology and uh, companies getting contracts. And we're seeing actual progress on, on getting back to the moon. It's all really exciting, at least to me, at least someone who went, you know, both of us, you know, we went to the cradle of, of the astronauts, Purdue University. Shout out Purdue University. Um, it's just so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, I remember uh, during some of the, the Falcon Heavy stuff, uh, I was in the, the Neil Armstrong Hall of uh, Aeronautical Engineering there, just engineering, uh, and we they had like a really big lecture hall there, and I wound up putting the uh, the um, rocket launch on the on the big projector in the in the uh, in the lecture hall, and we probably had like a good. 10, 15 Aero students just walk by, see it on, just came in here and watched it with us. It was, it was super cool. So yeah, it's, it's just yeah. some of that stuff, but it's going to be really cool uh, to see, to see if, uh, uh, if they, if they can pull it off. I mean, it's a 2024 goal. I wouldn't hold your breath, uh, but we'll, we'll see what they can do. So in other Elon Musk slash SpaceX news, uh, there's another article here about um, uh, Starlink, basically allowing it to be fully mobile by the end of 2021. And this was a major gripe that people had been having with Starlink uh, up until this point. Basically, the way they had uh, everything set up is it was like you had a cell where you can only use the Starlink service within that specific geographic area. But people where the main use cases for this would be from, like RVs, people who travel a lot, like ships, planes, all that type of stuff, um, they couldn't use it outside of the one area that they were allowed to use it in. So it's going to be really interesting to see this, uh, see this uh, coming up. Absolutely. I mean, I can't remember of another company trying to, to do something similar, at least maybe the, the Google project that it sounds, I believe they got scrapped a year or so ago. Um, it's just really exciting to see that we're finally going to be getting some sort of consumer product for, for these type of use cases where you need internet in, in places you can't get it, especially exactly like what you're saying, um, cruises and, and mobile um folks um, and mobile homes and stuff to still be able to be connected in the most remote areas. Um, it's a 21st century problem that requires a 21st century solution. And uh, I'm glad that it's only, uh, you know, 21 years into this 21st century that we're getting this technology. And it makes sense, right? Um, you know, to be connected to wherever you are as the world is, is more and more connected. Um, it just makes sense to be able to have those applications and, um, those travel situations. And so it's exciting to see that this technology is going to be you know, rolling out in, in mass amounts uh, towards the end of this year. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and hopefully when it becomes viable to the masses uh, and you can have this, this with reliable service, it would be wonderful that we can, bring internet to all the people in rural areas that aren't able to get good speeds so right i mean i i have a friend uh who lives up in or has has a place up in uh or very 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 remote portion of uh wisconsin and um i i remember i was up there uh in the end of last year and 
the best internet that they can get up there from the uh, from the providers is two megabit. Really? Two. Wow. Two. That's the best they can do. Um, and so I'm really excited for for Starlink, specifically for um, this 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 one friend because I believe they're at least promised up to fifty megabit, um, which it's not it's not phenomenal, right? But the point of it is not that it's phenomenal. The point of it is it's phenomenal that you even have internet access, right? And so, um, especially in the in these use cases, you're right. The rural areas, the very hard reach areas, for them to be able to get internet access is is incredibly important, um, and it, it's a very nice thing to have. And so, uh, I'm I'm very excited, especially for him, that he'll be able to. Uh, take advantage of this technology definitely definitely uh switching gears a little bit over to crypto um kind of basically there's this new cryptocurrency um that says that uses hard drive and disk space as the the uh medium to get the um to basically the asset as opposed to uh the actual um processing power so there's this Chia cryptocurrency that has uh, emerged, but miners in China are already snatching up every drive that they could find. And they quoted a manufacturer down here, basically saying people are driving, buying any hard drive they can from four to 18 terabytes. And there's a lot of panic buying and people are saying that this could actually drive prices of uh, hard disks up, which would be a, a real big shame because uh, that's kind of the one thing that hasn't, been affected by miners so yeah it's uh well there's two things here one it's pretty interesting to see a a new crypto not based on processing power but on the the storage uh, of it um so that that's one part of it that, that's different that i think is is kind of cool the other portion though um that does worry me is is this scarcity of of hard drives right it, this is not the first technology that we're, we're getting alarms for about there being a shortage of, um, you know, shortages of, of uh, screens, of chips, um, have been big problems during this pandemic. And so if there is a sort of continued um, big grab for SSDs and, and for hard drives, it's going to be a pretty big problem. Uh, in the in the computer and uh, computing industries, um, for people to get their hands on on things and components and uh, yeah, that's that's a big it's, problem. You don't want that to happen. Especially, right? it's, it's one of the central things you need for a computer. Exactly, and it's it's one of those things too where it's like graphics cards where people are doing traditional mining. Like, yeah, they're nice to have, but they aren't like essential for a computer to run. Like storage right. itself is essential for a computer to run. Uh, right. it, it is definitely one of those things where like all the, all the graphics cards and stuff like that, that are currently out there are getting absolutely destroyed by the, uh, by scalpers and miners that are just picking it up because with the new architectures by, uh, NVIDIA, it is, it is profitable to mine. Like you make yep. a profit by mining cryptocurrency in this day and age, which mm -hmm. is basically unheard of. Um, yep. but it's just one of those things where as if, if storage becomes this now too, I don't want to have to pay $200 for an SSD. <laughs> right. Uh, 
Right. I mean, and it's sad because specifically SSDs have been becoming increasingly cheaper over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I just picked one up for that, 50 bucks. A lot of people bucks. have been trying to upgrade their... What's that? I picked up a, a 512 yesterday for 50 bucks. Like, that, that's yeah. not bad at all. <laughs> Three years ago, that was that was a pretty expensive item. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only, they've only been getting cheaper over time. And it's something that I think in the in the computing uh, sector, computing uh, area, um, especially with people that are trying to upgrade their rigs and upgrade their laptops or their whatever computer they've got, um, it's a very popular upgrade to upgrade to an SSD from one of those uh, disk hard drives, right? And uh, they've only been getting better. They've only been getting smaller and more efficient. And, and so with that, the cost goes down. Um, right, and that's when... And a lot of people have been looking to upgrade, and it is, it's sad to see that it, it's possible that it's only going to go up from now. And especially with, with a shortage just, just to make new computers, right? Um, that it'll affect more than just uh, the people that want to upgrade. Right, and that's, like, like you mentioned, people upgrade. That, that's arguably currently the cheapest, most effective upgrade you could make to any older laptop is replace the, the, the regular disk with, the, with an SSD. Just because the speed benefit you get out of the additional throughput on the drive. But it's definitely one of those things where it's like, will it be economical if there's a shortage? Would it, would it just be more economical to get a new computer or will the prices of those new computers also go up? So you you don't know. Well, the problem with the computers too, and I have this issue with my, my, my work, is that they had a shortage or the, the, the supplier Dell had a shortage in laptops i believe it was in displays and so i had to wait two months to get a, a new laptop um i can only imagine you know the delay if not only was it the lap the, the screen but also the processor and also the ssd right you go from a lead time of a month to two months to four to six maybe eight months to yes <laughs> but yeah so we'll, we'll definitely have to see how this pans out uh and we'll, we'll see what happens. The last article we have for you today is this is the one that uh, I want to kind of draw your attention to the title for. Uh, this is a really interesting move by Google. Um, long story short, the way that uh, browser... Okay, the, the OK Google on my phone just went off and freaked the heck out of me. <laughs> They're listening to us. Uh, but anyway, there's an interesting move by Google right now um, about Google's Flock, F-L-O-C. And what that stands for is Federated Learning of Cohorts. Now, you may be wondering, what the heck is that? Um, so the way that advertisers currently track you is they place what's called a cookie on your computer. When you visit a website, your browser automatically downloads a cookie. What that does is that can either store information that you're logged into the website, or it could track your movements on the page. It can do all sorts of different stuff. Now, what Google is doing is basically with this new Flock system, they want to use the browser itself to look at your history, your browsing history, to actually move you into a cohort of people who have similar interests as you and then target ads based on that. Now, I'm not entirely sure if I'm getting the full story of this because I'm I'm a nerd. I'm a tech nerd. I see it from a di- very different perspective than a lot of people do. But from what I've been seeing, 
there's a lot of problems with this. And a lot of other companies obviously think that's the same way because uh, Brave, Vivaldi, Edge, and Mozilla, all people who make different web browsers, have basically said no to this. Like, we are not doing this. Uh, and there's, there's another funny bit in this article here. Um, he said, I'd ask Apple about this, but it's not difficult to guess what their answer would be. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, this is it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see, but basically what Google wants to do is instead of like like um having these cookies do the tracking where it's a, it gets you a little more precise details, but the cookies can only see the information of the sites that you visit. They just want to say, okay, we're going to take everything and we're going to throw this in a you're going to get thrown in a cohort, but we're going to anonymize everything. Everything's just leave it as is. Um, and I am not sure how I feel about that. Ah, uh, it, whenever I hear the words browsing history and big tech, I get nervous. And I think a lot of people rightfully should be nervous. Um, ah, oh boy, that really bothers me. I, ah, as a consumer, I can look at it from a few perspectives from a consumer. Um, you know, it, it's troubling because I don't want to be using a product where a company can be tracking me. Um, it's the reason why a lot of people use VPNs, right? Um, from just like a tech perspective, it I can see all kinds of concerns with other companies and other um, systems. And you said Apple and mentioned Apple. They are one of, if not the biggest consumer electronics um, company that's voiced so much opposition to uh, ad tracking and all sorts of uh, privacy issues. In fact, they've only implemented more features in the last few years just so that um, you're not tracked via your email or your your browsing uh, history, right? It's it's really scary to see companies kind of go this way. Um, and it's really, it's comforting to see uh, uh, the browsers like Edge and, and Firefox and all those um, come out and say that they don't want to do this and that they are trying to uh, set a precedent that we're not going to all be jumping on this new sort of technology at once because this is not the way we want to go. Um, right. Uh, it's, it, it rubs me the wrong, so like the wrong way. One so of the, the things way. that I, I got to commend Mozilla for this, uh, they released a statement and they quoted it in this article on The Verge. Basically, it says, we don't buy into the assumption that the industry needs billions of data points about individuals that are collected and shared without their understanding to serve relevant advertising. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Advertising and privacy can coexist and the advertising industry can operate differently than it has in past years. Like, I, I agree with that. Like, why why should some company need to know that I had a ham sandwich for lunch? Like, what purpose exactly. does that serve? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I don't understand how these like how looking at my browsing history is already going to do them better than what they already have, right? If they're already tracking my my search history, or whatever, with cookies and things like that, why do they need to know like everything else about me? I just well, think it's more. It really is an invasion of. Of privacy. The other interesting thing, too, is they, they are, in a way, getting your history. Like, Facebook and Google, in a way, are already getting your history because think about any website that uses Google Analytics. Any website that yeah. uses Google Analytics, they now see that, hey, on your computer, you also have a Google token. Hey, that means this user visited this website because they have the Google token, and they can... Uh, correlate that back to their servers. They could say, okay, this this IP address, this internet address, 
uh, visited this website and then did this and this and this. So they, they could already kind of piece that together. It's not as holistic as this program would be where they're just, they're just going to basically chug it and push it away. Um, which I, like I said, I, I'm not a, a huge proponent of the one thing that I do support though, is them actually preventing invasive cookies from entering your computer. Uh, because as part of this program, basically they cut out cookies as a whole and replace it with this, where basically you just send them your, your browsing history and instead you don't have Facebook knowing that, you don't have whatever knowing that, you don't have this knowing that, and all this stuff. Um, but basically, it's... I, I, I still think that neither solution is good, but that's the world we live in. Right, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because, you're right, in the world that we live in, um, to some degree, on a daily basis, you have to weigh um, privacy versus a lot of things. Privacy versus convenience, privacy over you know security, all these things, right? Um, I, I think a lot of the average consumer um, is would be concerned, and, and I am I am concerned um, that companies are seeing their ad targeting services as kind of a more uh, easy way to get user data um, and that they're justifying trying to uh, sidestep their consumer's privacy. And it does worry me um, that some people will be taken advantage of and that already are being taken advantage of. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, ah, I, and, and I'll, I'll say this, like it's, and this is my personal stance. I know but in 2021, you really don't have any privacy. I mean, let, let's be honest here, right? Um, you could search up, I don't, I don't want to say my name, but you can search up most, most people, right? They'll have at least one or two social media accounts. Um, chances are they'll have some sort of article written up about them. They'll be included in search results, and you'll be able to find all kinds of information about them, whether they went to high school, what they do professionally. Um, your identity, at least your online identity, isn't really secret anymore and it's not as private um and my stance on it is i give people so much i'm i don't need to hide a lot just because everyone that wants to know anything about me could go online and really find it out about me i mean i, I keep sensitive private information offline right um but if, if they want to know who i am they could find it um but that's just for you know the general consumer like even just you and i we could do a search on each other and find out i'm sure everything we already knew, right, about mm -hmm. each other. Probably and more. <laughs> a stranger could do that. And a stranger could do that. Mm -hmm. um, my concern, though, I, and while I'm not, I'm fine with that, and I've kind of accepted that, I don't want these companies to be um, furthering that sort of privacy invasion to the point where it's. Not, I can't justify it anymore, and I can't say that the advances that they're making um, – will actually benefit me or justify uh, them, them kind of coming into my privacy and, and digging into my own internet privacy. Right. And you're at some point where you say enough's enough. Right. Right. And I definitely think that we're going to, I'm, I'm going to have to watch this story with, with great interest and we're going to have to see where this actually goes because I would really, uh, like to, uh, 
not not see this happen. Uh, I mean, I don't like cookies existing the way they are, but that's just a fact of life at this point. But when right. you try to change something that already exists and people have kind of accepted, um, and then you just tell them, hey, we're going to track you this way now, I don't think that's going to stir up a lot of uh, um, trust in consumers and just people in general. So we will definitely have to keep an eye on this story and kind of keep uh, watching for developments as this goes through so with that that's all the time we have for today matt thank you so much for being here as usual i really appreciate it and of course uh my pleasure of course and tune in next week for another episode of uh tech talk nation have a great day everybody thank you for listening to tech talk nation tune in next week for more discussion on the latest in tech